Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how shockingly affordable a new Dacia is in the new year. You're very welcome on this bleak, miserable November afternoon to late lunch on LMFM Radio. I am peed off with this weather, I can tell you. In my whole life, I don't think it's ever been as damp, ever been as wet, ever been as dull, ever been as miserable. But that's the end of it now. We're going to stop at this minute and get on to the business of late lunch this afternoon. Let me tell you, a little bit later on, we're going to be talking about fly tipping in Baltray County Loud this time. Alan O'Donoghue is with us, our parenting expert, and the wonderful Andrew O'Connor. Connor is here. Yes, a great beauty is our book of the month and Andrew's in studio today. But I want to begin by saying this once more. It hasn't gone away. More than a decade after the financial crash, there are still many thousands of individuals and homes in deep difficulty with borrowings they made at the time. With the recovery, these people in my book are the forgotten Irish who live with worry and stress every single day. I'll tell you this, I'm never going to forget them as long as I'm here and I'll continue to highlight their plight, which I'm doing once more this afternoon with the wonderful Rosalind Doherty from the Financial Foundation who has assisted so many people in distress with wholly positive outcomes. Rosalind, you're very welcome back to the show. Hello, Jerry. Thanks for having me again. Thank you. I want you just to reassure me. I'm not exaggerating, am I, about this? It hasn't gone away, but constantly the banks and, and, and the, the restructures, everything is changing. So I would have been on here previously talking about um, when you go in for a restructure and the banks will warehouse some of your mortgage away, they'll split it, they might write some off. But in the past couple of years, we've seen equity rising in houses, um, which is is kind of stalling the banks from writing anything off because their stance then is there's equity in your house, sell it, clear it off and get out of the house, downsize down to a smaller property. Um, But a lot of mortgages now have been sold over to vulture funds, as you know. Um, The main vulture fund at the moment is Start Mortgages and they would have had very, very bad press about three to four years ago. Um, they've done a complete U-turn. I am getting restructures over the line from Start Mortgages. Um, and, and the main restructure here is involving an interest rate reduction because these vulture funds would have had you on a rate of 6 or 7%, which could be the difference of three to €400 Euro a month in your repayments if you get that interest rate reduced to a more normal rate of 3%, which is still high. Um but it, it can make a huge difference to repayments. One customer, when we restructured a mortgage a few weeks ago, she will save over the term €104,000 on interest. 
on interest. That's massive. And that's gone from 6% down to 3%, yeah. So the vulture funds, and start as an example, are now softening their cough. Definitely. I think they came into into the, the country here thinking... We can go in, flip these houses, get the people out and, and make a quick killing. And it's not happening because people are standing their ground with the, you know, with the vulture funds um, and, and, and paying what they can on a monthly basis. So if the funds or any of the vulture funds or banks bring you into a, a court and the judge sees what you're paying on a monthly basis, it's very difficult for them to get you out of the house and take the, the property So that's back. an important message. But overall, there is a massive residual hangover of substantial debt affecting lots and lots of people. Absolutely. It hasn't changed at all. Um, people still come to me in distress. The banks are looking for maybe €2,000 a month. They can afford 1000 a month. But it's, again, all about the restructuring of the accounts. So we could look and see, is there a possibility here to get a term extension in place for the customer? Um, we'll analyse the cost of credit as well, should we put a term extension in place. But it's all about gauging what the affordability is, submitting the proposal into the bank and proving everything that you say. So we need, you know, the bank statements to prove it, pay slips to, to prove it. But people are kind of turning around. The economy is slightly turning around. But because the accounts were in arrears originally, maybe eight to a hundred thousand euro, it's it's all trying they're trying to catch up now and catch up and catch up. So what we need to do is get those arrears back into the overall mortgage and restructure the the entire amount. Um, and as I said, there with, with interest rates, but the country is kind of kind of turning. Um, but the level of arrears, that's that's what has to be fixed. Okay, for that people. is the big problem. Yeah. Is there? Yeah. Split mortgages, write down, write offs are. Gone. Effectively gone. Yeah, it's probably be about two years now since since I had any kind of a split mortgage. But as I said, there the the bank see look, you owe two hundred and forty thousand. Your property's worth three hundred thousand, so you have sixty thousand equity. Um, I know nobody's going to get a, another house for sixty thousand euro. But as far as the banks are concerned, you know, trade down, you you, you know. Clear off your mortgage and you have a lump sum in your pocket, but you won't have a home. But if you... Look, nobody wants to do that. People want to remain in the homes that they've put so much into and grafted so hard to hold on to through Mm. these difficult 10 years just gone past. I spoke to you before uh, about the mortgage to rent scheme. What's your view on that? Has your outlook on that changed yeah, probably three or three or four years ago when we had the negative equity, I, I wouldn't have been an advocate for mortgage to rent. I would have kind of kept pushing at the banks, you know, saying property's a negative equity, let's do an arrangement. There's no point in selling the house. There's going to be a massive shortfall. But now I have more and more people like in their in their late 60s with mortgages of two and three hundred thousand that they're never, ever going to service. So the only option for, for customers in that position would be mortgage to rent. Now, they surrender ownership of the home, which is it's the only real downside of mortgage to rent. But they get to stay in the home. Neighbours don't know that they no longer own the property. Um, they don't have to tell family and friends. It's very, very, very discreet. Um, but they get to stay in the in the property with a rolling 25-year lease. That's what most councils would So they're with. never going to be out never on the street. Be it's out, there for no. their lifetime. Exactly. And then after that, it reverts to the financial institution ownership? Well, as I said, they get a 25-year rolling lease if there are children in the property as well. Mm. Once they turn 18, you can add them onto the lease, which will then, the, the lease will roll over, okay. roll over to them should the parents pass okay. away. Okay, okay. And can they then... Then, like, if circumstances change with younger people, can they restructure again and say, look, we want to actually 
get this place back into our own issue. Yeah, after five years of living in the property under um, the mortgage rent scheme, you have the opportunity to buy the property back. But the benefit here is that you could be buying it back. You will be buying it back at a discounted rate because your property would have been sold by your lender to a county council or a private housing body at a discounted rate. And that's what you buy it back for. Okay, so there's huge benefits in that potentially down the road. It is a way of kind of getting some of the debt written off in effect. Um, But again, as I keep saying, the priority, keep them in their homes, keep people in their homes. Shame, embarrassment, you mentioned there, neighbours won't know, don't want to tell family. Do you come across that with people all the time? Absolutely. People, it's just the same words they use. They're overwhelmed, they're embarrassed, their family doesn't know they're in such a predicament. Um, you know, they're trying to serve as a mortgage which is outside of their control. Again, it's the arrears that are probably sitting in the background um, and they will keep getting these letters to go to court their names are up on a list in the court. It's it, on, on the public list. You can see everybody's names there. Who is up in court? Um, and again, people don't want family and friends to know that they're being treated like a criminal because they fell on hard times um, and been brought into a court to, to, you know, face possible repossession. You've never lost a home no. f- ever with anybody you've ever worked no. for on behalf of it. Never. No, no. That's and a he, terrific record. It's brilliant. Yeah. Now the. In saying that, the banks may have refused or declined an arrangement throughout that time, you know, and I will say to customers, what I have proposed, you keep paying. Then we can see the banks or lenders doing a U-turn in six to 12 months. Look, you know, they'll come back and say, we see the customer is consistent. Let's now look and see, is there an arrangement there for them? We mentioned the recovery in house prices and, and, and more equity in the home as well. Um <sighs> The repossession part of this, mm-hmm. right, to, to repossess a home, it must be desperate. Like, it, there must have been, you know, nothing paid or somebody running away from this or no engagement with the banks. Does it need to go, what I'm trying to get at, to that type of level before those moves are made? Again, dependent on your lender. I have seen some lenders never, ever, ever pursue customers legally, never bring them into court. Um, and yet other ones, if you're... A hundred euro in arrears, they'll pursue you. Really? Yeah, and you're treated exactly the same whether you're a hundred thousand in arrears or one thousand in arrears. I have one customer who's two and a half thousand euro in arrears, and they have legal proceedings against them at the moment. Yeah. So there's that swing in the approach to this by different financial institutions. Yes. Yeah. There's which, no consistency. Which brings me on to this question. You know, like, you know, apportioning blame. <laughs> I don't like to in this, but when you talk about this whole overhang and what still lies there, are the financial institutions to blame themselves, the lenders? have They must bear part of the blame, surely. Oh, of course, uh, absolutely. Um, they would be the, the main instigators of, of everything. Um, and a lot of them, they're not very tolerant, like when customers ring in. I, I've heard I've heard the way they speak to customers and it's demanding, demanding, demanding. When are you going to get money into us? How are you going to get money into us? You know, they never sit and look at the full picture of what is going on for this customer. Um, and they're very robotic in their approach. You know, they're, they're trained to get as much money in on a daily basis from customers over the phone. And that's the priority. And me or anybody listening today, wish we're not skilled or we don't know what to do mm. when dealing with that scenario. Obviously, they, you don't take that from them yourself. Oh, absolutely not. No, no. Um 
they, they, they like to call me very per- persistent in, in the institutions because when I send paperwork in, I make sure it's it's received, first of all, it's assigned to the right account. There's a case manager on the account and it's always the case manager who would be maybe involved with the legal teams that I deal with all the time. So I don't necessarily deal with the arrear support units who are the, the guys who are collecting the money as such. Um, and once they say to you on the phone, hello, my name is X, Y or Z and I cannot offer you financial advice today, you maybe you know, people should say, well, maybe could you put me on to somebody who can offer me financial advice today? And this is within the banks when you're ringing to make your, your payment um, because they have literally money collectors there in the arrear support units. They're not there to fix the accounts as such. They're there to collect the money. So that's the financial institutions. There's a three-pronged thing here in my book. Then we have the state agencies and, and what was put in place by our governments to deal yes. with this. Yes, yes. What's your take on, uh, on that aspect of it? Well, there is a, a big state agency here involved in, um, you know, it's on all the bank's paperwork. If you're in difficulty, financial difficulty, you go to the state agency who's going to help you. All of my customers have pursued that avenue and have come to me. The state agency tends to te- class people as insolvent and push them down the insolvency stroke bankruptcy route. Yes. When I look at their, their income and expenditure, like they're not insolvent uh, and I can get restructures for them. So for me, it's very frustrating to see there's a huge amount of money being thrown at these state ag- the state agency. Um, and my opinion is that nothing has been done to help customers because they're they're left high and dry. They're they're told to go down the insolvency route, which it's not going to work out for them. Um, then they come to me and we can get a restructure nine times out of ten. That's shabby, isn't it, to say the least? You know, that maybe go down only one route, you think, really, then, you yeah. know, this yeah. is the way you must go, this is the way you must pursue. So you're not impressed from a personal I'm point of view. And I'm sure they'll come back to us and say, oh, we've done great work and here are the facts and figures and they're welcome to respond to us and if they want to uh, enlighten us on this, you're so welcome to do so. We'd love to hear from you and, and give you an airing. What about people themselves, the borrowers who, look at them, when you find yourself in the midst of a financial collapse mm. that you didn't expect, you're mm. borrowed to the hilt. You know, maybe other things happen in your life. You might lose a job. You know, a yes, relationship yeah. may break up and things like this. You know, people are inclined to put the blanket over their head and stay in bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a responsibility there as well. There is. Again, it's just like bury your heads in the sand. It's going to go away. And it's it's not going to go away. If you're in trouble with your mortgage please, please, please either ring your lender and speak directly to them and say, look, you're you're looking for a bit of assistance to fill out your financial statement or go to somebody who's authorised and regulated who can help you through the process and and negotiate on your behalf. Once I'm appointed by a customer, the lenders cannot pick up the phone and say, what are you going to do about your mortgage arrears to the customer? They have to deal with me in relation to that. So the pressure that takes off. Just by that alone, I can see it. I can see see it, the lid lifting off and... Yeah, you know, yeah. People say to me, I haven't got a call in six weeks. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Where they, they were getting maybe five or six calls a day from unknown numbers. Um, the letters will still continue to go out, but they're just system generated. So I say to customers, don't worry about that. I get a copy also. But the harassment stops. Tell them the wee story, just as an example of the Ulster Bank case, without naming any names that you were dealing with recently. Yeah, so I submitted a proposal for a customer. Now, the mortgage repayments are going to sound particularly high, €2,000 a month. But the full contractual payment, including the arrears, what the bank was looking for, was in around 4200 
So I went through the finances and they could afford 2000 I started the negotiations at 11 o'clock one of the mornings last week and got off the phone at 1. Um, the, the lender want, was demanding from me, even though my paperwork proved they could afford €2,000, they were, they were demanding 2700 So the negotiations started then. And, you know, when I said to him, look at the guy's income and the wife's income, they can't service a mortgage at 2700 If you offer out that arrangement, they're going to fall flat on their face in six months' time again. So we stayed on the phone almost for one hour and 45 minutes to go through it. And, you know, he saw a reason. Now, he did drop down to 2400 at one stage and I was absolutely adamant, no, no, we're not going, we're not stretching to that. So an arrangement was put in place at €2,000 for the customer as per the paperwork. So it's a matter of once everything is evidenced, like, you know, you've proven what you're what you're saying. This is how you can persuade them then to put an arrangement in at what you can afford. Question. Facing into a repossession order, is it too late no. in the day to turn it round, says a listener? Ask Absolutely. The listener. No, no. I've had customers come to me with repossession repossession orders already in place now a repossession order will sit on your house for up to 12 years which means you're living on the edge for those 12 years are they going to come and and kick me out but it's up to the bank to enforce it but if that customer is only starting off down the road of threats of repossession or if the repossession has been granted by all means it can be it can still be looked at no matter how bad it is it can still be looked at do you ever see a time when this, like we're 10 years down yeah. the road, is it going to take another decade, another 20 years or before? And, and, and in the meantime, Rosalind, I don't like to tempt fate, but you know the way economies repeat their mistakes from generation yeah. to generation. But even now when you're watching TV and you see the, the adverts again for mortgages and it's like, oh, we're going to give you €3,000 cash back and, and all the offers are there again. Now, it is harder to get a mortgage now, but... As you said, it's, it just goes around in circles. I can see people now taking out massive mortgages again. Um, and we all know there's, there's a strong possibility of another recession, which is going to leave them back in the same position as customers now. But I just, I, I, to me, there's another 20 years of work in this, really is. So borrow or beware is the message today. Now, tomorrow evening, you're part of a line about the West Court Hotel in Drogheda. It begins at 8 o'clock. What's happening there tomorrow night? Yes, tomorrow night there's a talk. Um, a couple of councillors, Paddy McQuillan from the town here in Drogheda, he's 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 kind of involved with it and has set it all up. Um, so it's basically to guide people who are looking for homes or looking for mortgages. So there will be like solicitors and bank officials there. But if anybody has any questions or queries about mortgage arrears or debts, I'll be on hand there. I'm going to give a little talk as well about um, how to deal with it. And I know it's it's something people don't want to stand up and say, look, I'm in arrears. But my details will be given out tomorrow and again after the show today. So if people can contact me directly, within a couple of minutes, I can get a good gauge of your situation and, you know, kind of just boost you and tell you exactly what we can do to, to fix your, your case. So that's 8 o'clock tomorrow in the West Court Hotel in Drogheda and it's open to anybody yes, to, meeting, to, yeah. to, to come along. Yeah. Uh, just going back to something you said earlier, it's, it's alarming to hear of people in their 60s at a stage of their life when they should be enjoying the fruits of their labour and a lifetime and have everything wrapped up and done and dusted with their homes, their main residence. To hear that people like that are in such... It's so sad. So, you know, you have couples coming in who are on a state pension of 900 to 1,000 euro per month. So that is all that's coming into the house. They have to feed themselves, electricity, gas, etc. And then on top of that, there's a mortgage payment. 
like you know it just makes sense let's surrender the house go for the mortgage to rent you need to you need to live out the rest of your your pensionable years in peace rather than sitting at home waiting for letters to come in the door to say you're going to be you know your house, house is going to be repossessed and you're going to be thrown out potentially it's an Irish thing isn't it the ownership there's always been a mm. desire to own your own had. Whereas if you look to the continent, we know this well, continental Europe, it's really the, the owning is not the be all and end all. No, do we need not. to change a mindset here? I think we do. It's like when you look at the movie The Field and it's all about the land and, you know, this is instilled in Irish people to, to hand over a house to children. Now, when I have couples in their 60s and they're saying, I want to leave the house to the kids. And I say, how old are your kids? Well, they're in their 40s and they have their own homes. This is where I say, OK, your kids have grown up. They've flown the nest. You're, you know, they have kids themselves. Let's look after you. Let's look after you. <laughs> Isn't it interesting, that mindset of Irish people? It really is. It really is. Just a question on... Look, you have to earn it. <laughs> Crust yourself. You don't do this for, for, for the fresh air. Regarding you and, and, and when somebody comes to you, how does that work? So I would love to be able to sit there and do all this for free. But, you know, I have rent, I have insurance to pay. and um, You have a business to a run. business to run. And I never realised how hard it was to run a business. But I have a fee in place. Um, there's a, a, an initial deposit to get the, the ball rolling, which means I make contact with all lenders. Um, and the, the fee for the financial statement, what a lot of people tend to do is chip away at it weekly. Chip yes. away, chip yeah, away. Yeah, that's okay. I will never put pressure on people because I know the situation that they're in themselves. Um, so I could be struggling in my office trying to get money in, but I, you know, I leave it to the people. I say, this is your case, your fight. When you have the money, come and pay for this and your paperwork will be issued out then. This is a reasonable woman because she knows what it's like to yeah. be unreasonable <laughs> on the other end of the phone and having to deal uh, with that as well. But look, you've done great good for lots of people. I know this. Mm. I've seen the testimonials. I know people who've been in contact with you as well. So if people want to talk to you directly, remember it's the West Court Hotel tomorrow night in Drogheda, 8 o'clock. But the phone number they can get you on? Uh, 0419835710. And I won't ask you the website because <laughs> I have it this time round. Remember the last time? Anyway, it's the thefinancialfoundation.ie. You will get all Rosalind's details there. Thank you so much for dropping in again to us on Late Lunch. I really Lovely. appreciate it. And we are sending out the message. Don't hide away from it engage, deal. You have five quick tips. Quick, before you go. Yes, talk to your lenders either directly or to a regulated licensed agent. Pay what you can. Prioritise your mortgage. Don't be afraid of stating your reasonable living expenses and engage, engage, engage. Simple as. That's the message today. Thank you so much. Lovely to see you, Rosalind. Thanks a million. He's back and he's brilliant. Alan O'Donoghue from Help Me to Parent. Good to see you again. Good to see you too, Jerry. Thanks for joining me. We're on the hub of uh, Christmas and the New Year and um, some of the issues you'll be dealing with today are focused towards that. But let's uh, deal with this one first. Let's just come into us. And if you want to ask Alan a question, get in touch with us. 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp. In complete confidence, I promise you. Listen to this. Jerry, would you ask Alan for advice, please? My daughter is 16. She told me that she's feeling very down and sad, even though she's pretending to everyone that she's happy. I have a good relationship with her. I've asked her all the usual questions. She said she can't explain why she's so down. I'm just wondering who to turn to. Do I bring her to my GP or a counsellor? She's a great girl. I'm just so worried about her. It's not boy trouble or anything to do with her phone, etc. The fact that she cried her heart out to me, I want to help her. 
Yeah, and I think that's the big thing. You know, as a parent, it's so, so difficult. It doesn't matter what age your child is. When you're seeing them upset, it's so hard to see and you just want to jump in and fix it for them. And it's so difficult, and especially as they get older. So I suppose, you know, it's a difficult one because she's not getting anything. But the child isn't being uh, obtrusive or anything like that. It's just she's not sure. And I think sometimes we think there has to be a reason. There has to be a definite. There has to be bullying. There has to be a breakup. There has to be some reason. And sometimes there isn't. Because I think we are living in a world now where there is a general anxiety because we have so much information at our fingertips and we get bombarded. So we see everything, we hear everything. We've, we've mentioned it before here, Jerry. the amount of information that children have at, the, at, their, um, at their hands that they've no control over. And somebody showed me a video, just said, have a look at this. And it was a video I would definitely not choose to look at. But kids are seeing these videos the whole time of people being hurt and maimed and they're, they're real life. So there's pressures there. And I think then sometimes, you know, we can just feel low. And there's so much talk of anxiety and depression that sometimes we can think that it is anxiety or depression. So I would say to this mother, take your daughter to the doctor, right? If for nothing else and the doctor says, actually, there's nothing majorly wrong here, at least you know then you could go and see a counsellor, see a therapist, uh, see a, a youth coach. Um, so or, or contact me. You know, there's no problem. I'll see your, your, your daughter, no problem at all. We, we could try and get you in the next few weeks. It's Sometimes kids will try and protect parents as well. So maybe she does know what's going on for her. Maybe it's just, you know, that she doesn't want to upset mum or doesn't want to upset dad and she's just going to protect people. But what happens is... We respond very much as parents to the explosion, the outward shouting and the anger that we see in our kids. And then we look at the good kids, in inverted commas, who never complain, never give out, never moan about anything. And sometimes they're the ones we need to look at and and start thinking, is everything actually all right for them? And, you know, here's your daughter who's showing the world that she's absolutely fine, but inside she's not. So maybe all she needs is some sort of support where she can get stuff out as opposed to keeping it in because that's part of the problem. She's keeping it in. Isn't that interesting what you say, Alan, that sometimes we're just down and there need not necessarily be a specific behind it. Yeah, and we don't necessarily have to be medicated for it or or need some severe intervention for it. Sometimes it's all right to just be sad. Sometimes it's okay to be pissed off. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You bet, baby. But look... Thank you for that wonderful question. If you'd like to talk to Alan, as he says, he can work you in over the next few weeks. If you'd like to, uh, we'll uh, give Alan's details out before the end of the show. So if you're listening today, I want to get a pen ready. We'll give out the details. There's another one for you, and this is seasonal. Jerry. I have a 13-year-old who has me pestered to get a mobile phone for Christmas. Will you please ask Alan, should I hold firm and say no? I think it's too young at 13. Now, there are many parents, Alan, that's just, thank you indeed for that question, who are in that situation today. Mm -hmm. What's your advice on the age thing again? So, as we've discussed before, Jerry, it's what's important is what's right for you. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It's only what matters to this parent. And this parent is texting in and saying that it's not, they don't feel it's ready, that their child is ready. At 13. At 13 years of age. So 
for me, 12 was always the, the, the time. So when my daughter was going into secondary school, we had agreed, right, you can have a phone then. But we put monitoring software on it and put restrictions on it so she couldn't get access to things we didn't want her to see. And we would okay any um, apps getting downloaded. So there's no social media on our phone. And look, she's, she gives out to me about it. That's life. She's going to be all right in the long run. So what I say to you is, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. You, all you need to worry about is your family and if it's not right for you, that's fine. If you're starting to wilt, which you might be because the constant pe- um, peppering from your, from your, or pestering from your, your son is, definitely get monitoring software on it. There's one that I use called Bark, B-A-R-K. It is excellent. It's eight quid a month. It's the best eight quid a month I will spend. Um, and it, you can set what you see on it. So it can cover from the most se- sensitive thing to the most ridiculous thing. And some of the, the notifications I've got, Jerry, you would laugh at, you know, how crazy. My daughter took a photograph and I got told this could be a weapon. And I was going, what is it? It was an ice cream, a magnum <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> so... You better know, safe than better sorry. Safe, sorry, but definitely get monitoring software on and restrict what you what your, your your son has on the phone. So just because you give him the phone doesn't mean you give him carte blanche to download wherever he has uh, or he want whatever he wants and to to look at anything he wants. You can still control it. You don't lose that control. You can still control it, and as he gets older, you can give him that bit more freedom. Bark is the name of the... Yeah, now there's tons of them out there, yeah, Jerry. but you but like that's this the one. one. I've, I've, I've tried out a few of them and I've got a few people, friends working in the, the industry and they said this is the one that, that's working for okay. them as well. Thanks, Alan. I was listening to the radio the other day and they were saying that this Christmas the people of Ireland are looking at spending something similar to Celtic Tiger times. I saw this and there's been a lot written about this in recent days as well. Listener says, this made me feel terrible. In our house, we're definitely not experiencing the return of the Celtic Tiger. And although we both work full time, we have little or no spare money come the end of the month. Neither of us smoke or drink. We have uh, never go out for dinner and uh, we our days out with the children are picnic or something where we don't have to pay too much, whatever it is. We have three sons. They're nine, 12 and 15. And they're all looking. Here, we're back to the devices <laughs> for expensive devices for Christmas. We want to get them what they're looking for, but it'll mean taking out a loan and we'll be paying it off for the next year or more at a high interest rate. We don't want them to be left out when all their friends are getting expensive presents, but short of robbing a bank. Have you any suggestions? Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's a serious matter. How we can make this a less expensive Christmas. That's pressure. That is pressure, Jerry, And it's pressure that so many parents feel. I get messages like this all the time because of the pressure. And we are now living in a time where parental guilt, that sense of guilt of our children being left out is at its highest. So when I was a kid, Jerry, there was, well, I'm not saying there's no parental guilt, but you didn't get it because nobody was getting it. And that's just the way it is. Now, or that's the way it was. Now it is different. So parents feel that that, that is such a strong emotion of, I don't want my child feeling left out. Your child is going to be okay. So what I'd say is, like some specifics here is, can you break it down? Can you sit down with your 15-year-old and discuss the situation financially? Not giving him too much more information where he's going to be thinking, oh my God, we're going to be put out of our house. But just letting him know, look, this is, this is where we're at. We don't have the money to be getting all this stuff. Right. But we need you to come on board and we will get what we can. So can you get cheaper versions or older versions of the devices that they're looking for? Secondhand versions of, the, of what they're looking for. Um, I, I always buy secondhand phones myself. Um, and then you could sit down as a family 
and discuss that Santa can only bring a certain amount of presents to every single house in the in the world. So he needs to look at what he gives to each person. So while they might look might look for something, maybe they may not get it. They might get something a bit different. So you're preparing the ground for them. So they're starting to to you're not lowering their expectations, but you are lowering their expectations and making it a bit more realistic. Because I would always say to parents. Try not to put yourself under financial strain. Like this person saying that they'll be paying it off for a year. So what happens come next Christmas? You pay off one loan at high interest to get another loan at high interest. And this is across the board. So people talk about Celtic Tiger coming back and people talk about there being more money in the country. People are not seeing that on the ground. So what I'd also say is set yourself a budget. Now, you have a bit of time to go and do a bit of research, find cheaper options, but set a budget and stick to it. And one where you're not having to take out a major loan. You might have to take something small, but not a major loan that you're going to be under pressure for the year. And then stick to that budget. Work with whatever it is. And if your kids are disappointed on Christmas morning, yes, that's hard. Yes, you're going to be upset. Yes, they're going to be upset. But guess what? In 10 years' time, they will understand. They certainly will. And, you know, that pressure thing is subtle. And, of course, it's driven by business and marketing and promotions and this feeling of being, you're not cool or you're being left out if you don't have what the sheep have. But so many parents as well will turn around and say, yes, it's a disgrace that we're spending that much. I think it's crazy. And then we'll go and spend thousands on their children. So Mm. we all buy into it. But you're absolutely right. It's it's driven by marketing to buy bigger and better. And children have access, as we said, to more information. So they're seeing what everybody else is getting. And maybe it's okay to just bring it right back and go, this is where we're at. I'm sure this one applies uh, across Louth and Meath and way beyond this country as well. I've separated from my husband this year and although we are doing relatively well in terms of communication, we've yet to speak about where the children will go at Christmas. Our kids are young and will be expecting Santa to come to my house as they live with me and are worried that if they go to Dad's that Santa won't know where they are. Well, that is a realistic thing for a child to think, I have to say. I'm OK with explaining to them that Santa knows where to go, but I just don't know how to broach the subject of where they'll stay on Christmas Eve uh, with my ex-husband. Uh, the thought of me not waking up with them on Christmas Day absolutely devastates me. What do you think, Alan? What would be the best way to handle this conversation? Yeah, it's... Well, I suppose... The, the first positive I would say in this, if there is a positive, is that you guys can communicate. So you're saying that there is a, a certain amount of communication between you, which is really, really good, which will open up the door f- for this to actually happen and the, the conversation to take place. Um, I, I would think that your husband is probably feeling the same way in terms of it's his first Christmas where he's not waking up in the family home and... He won't be waking up with his children. So for both of you, I can imagine the thought of that is extremely difficult. So given that you have got this bit of communication, maybe you can come from the we perspective. And what I mean by the we perspective, I mean is what can we do to give our kids the best possible Christmas? You know, given the circumstances and we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happened, why you guys have separated. But ultimately, it's not the children's fault. The children didn't do anything to cause this breakup. And I'm sure you know that. So let's keep them as the focus for Christmas. Let's keep them the focus for what you're going to do. Now, if they're used to waking up in your house on Christmas morning, well, then maybe that is the best place. But I wonder, and I'm going to throw this one out, Jerry. I wonder, 
could you invite dads to come over for Christmas morning? Given that you do have some sort of communication, that there is there is some way that you guys can get on together just for Christmas morning, keeping the children as the main focus. Can you do that? Now, it could be a big ask and there might be a lot of people sitting around their, their radios listening going, no bloody way would I let the, the other parent into this house, on Christmas, especially on Christmas morning because there'd just be a row. But that's where we allow sometimes our own anger and our own hurt towards the other person to overpower the love of the children. And that's where we need to take responsibility for ourselves and say, right, well, what is the best thing? Now, you might say, Alan, I can't control myself. So if he comes into this house, I actually, there's a good chance of an argument because I just can't hold it back because I'm so angry. Well, then don't do that. But then maybe have the conversation around, look, what do we think would be the best for the kids, given that they're used to waking up in this house, but maybe they can come over to you at 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock, whatever it might be, and spend some time with you. And you try and work from a practical position of let's put aside our own feelings, put away our own upset, our own disappointment, and look at what we're going to do to make this day as happy as it can be. So with the children at the centre of this, they're the primary consideration. If they live with the mum or dad and they're used to living there all the time, does it make real sense that they stay there because it's such a special day and with Santa coming? What about the rotation? So they stay here this year. I'm flipping ahead 12 months, you know, that they go next year. Absolutely. Like, look, everything should be on the table. You know, and it's about that. Maybe that's the, the, the one that actually will will work out where dad will turn around and go, do you know what? OK, we, we can spend the morning together, but I'm happy enough for you to have them this this year and then next year. Absolutely. And and by you approaching him with this idea, then you're almost giving him the olive branch and saying, you know, look, I understand this is going to be difficult for you as well, not being with them on Christmas morning. So why not? Why don't you take next Christmas? Great idea. Thanks, Alan. Every year we have my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and their families for Christmas. We generally have a good time, but I find it so tiring and it's a lot of pressure. Uh, They're lovely people and uh, they generally don't lift a hand to help or offer to bring something to save me from having to do everything. So they come over and they're treated for the Christmas. I get the gist of this. I know this may sound petty, but I've found over the past couple of years that I'm getting more and more frustrated and end up not enjoying Christmas Day at all. Um, I think about the preparation and the putting up of the food and hoping that everything is all right and that everyone's okay for drinks and they're having fun. And then I have to do the clean up. What can I do to stop myself from losing it with them this year and shouting and ruining everyone's Christmas? Because I feel like there's a good chance it's going to happen with all the stress. I hear your pain. <laughs> well, I think, the, you know, when we talk about conflict resolution, Jerry, in our parenting courses, the first thing we say is, what is the pre-conflict? So what is the situation that allows conflict to take place? And here we have a perfect example. There's been a couple of years where the pressure is building, the frustration is building. So we here, here we have a pre-conflict situation. There is something that can cause conflict. And in your head, where you've gone is, they're not, they're not going to, they're going to come, they're, they're just going to eat my food and they're going to leave all the cleaning for me and I'm going to lose it. So you've had this full conversation, this full Christmas day has been run over in your head. And this is not a criticism. This is what we do as human beings. We worry about something that's going to happen in the future. And we always think about the worst case scenario and we rarely think about the best case scenario. And usually, usually, the reality is somewhere in the middle. 
leaning towards the best case scenario. So what I'd say to you is, if you feel that this is something that is going to frustrate you, well, what can you do to take back that control? Well, maybe this is the year that your sister-in-law brings the ham. Maybe this is the year that your brother-in-law brings the desserts and the drinks. And, and, and get them involved in that they may actually be quite happy to do it, taking on, on some ownership and feeling like they're taking some of the burden from you. They may not, so you may have to push them in that direction. But say, look, this is how it's going to work this year. And then can you divvy up a little rota in your head? Because there's going to be some jobs you don't want people doing. So you don't want people, you know, the kids cleaning the china. You don't want the crystal getting looked after by a drunken uncle, right? So maybe it's about looking at, well, what can each person do to do that little bit to take that bit of pressure off me. And I would say, get your husband to have this conversation with his siblings. Now, you might have, might have a fantastic husband who's great at, you know, helping out on the day, but you're the one that's feeling this pressure right now. And surely he doesn't want you losing it because he doesn't want to have to deal with you and he doesn't want to have to deal with his family as well. So why not just look at, well, okay, can you have this conversation? And you might need to write on the script and tell him exactly what he needs to say, but this is what we're going to do. And if they're not willing to, so if they say, no, sorry, well, then maybe this year you take a break from it. Well, there's a, a message just come in to us and said, if I were you, good woman, I'd head off for Christmas with the family <laughs> and let them all look after themselves. I think that is quite a good message, to be honest with you. Well, look, at I, I, I'm being facetious there. You know, people love to be at the heart of things at Christmas and it's maybe not as easy as that. But there's a suggestion from someone as to what they'll do. Just another quick one before we go. Jerry, just listening to your show today, I have a daughter and she's become very withdrawn into herself. Similar to the first question that Alan answered a little while ago, I've spoken to her at length again and she says there's nothing up. She's spending so much time in her bedroom by herself and wants to stay there. I'm worried. What should I do? So it's it's a different thing for parents nowadays where when, again, when I was a kid and it's a long, long time ago, there was no reason for me to stay in my bedroom because it was pretty boring after a while. So I went out. But a lot of our children now have direct communication with their friends from anywhere, from the toilet, Jerry. They're able to text their friends. So she feels maybe that she is communicating with people and interacting with people because she actually is. It's just different to what we're used to. So it's one of those things where if she's saying there's nothing wrong, maybe there isn't anything wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't start to talk about having family time and it's important that we, you know, come down together and we spend an hour or whatever together in the evening and then let her spend that time in, in the room. That's absolutely fine. It's just different. Okay. Alan, thank you so much indeed. It's been a real pleasure to have you with us again uh, during the year. For people listening today, I did promise them, give them out your contact details, please. Yeah, so you can email me at A-L-L-E-N at helpmetoparent.ie and that's the number two. Or you can contact me on 086-805-8404. That's 086-805-8404. And what I will say, Jerry, is if you are a parent, if you go to helpmetoparent.ie and sign up for our newsletter, we're going to have a newsletter going out this week that has a special offer for Cyber Monday. So get in there now and there will be a special offer for parents. Alan, until, until the next time, have a lovely Christmas and we'll see you, please, God, in the new year. Thank you, Thank Jerry. you so much for joining me.
If you were with us on Friday, I know you were with us on Friday for Book Club, you will know that the wonderful Margaret Madden selected A Great Beauty by Andrew O'Connor as her book of the month. And I love it when a plan comes together because he's with us. Andrew O'Connor, welcome back to Late Lunch. Thanks, Sherry. Great to be back again, as always. I love being here. Thank you for joining us. And congratulations on Margaret selecting your book as her book of the month. Thank you to Margaret as well. Absolutely. And I want to say hello to her today. She's listening in. She was going to drop in and say hello to you. But she's laid up today and we uh, wish her speedy recovery. Absolutely, Margaret. Yeah, I'll, give you, I'll give you a call later on. Ah, there <laughs> you go. He'll be giving you a shout of personal conversation for yourself. <laughs> anyways, anyways, before we get on to the new one, by royal appointment, were you telepathic or something with what's going on in the UK I at know. the moment? Yeah, yeah. I was listening because I was in to your show last year. I've been, yeah. I've been in since this year as well, I think. I think I've been here quite a bit out this stage, Jerry. But my book last year was by royal appointment was about I remember talking to you about it I think it was November came out last year and it was the King Edward VII and when he was the Prince of Wales he ended up having an affair with the Irish actress Nellie Clifton this was back in the 1860s Mm. and not many people knew about that and then with everything going on over there in, in London now again over the last couple of weeks, I was thinking they, they never kind of learn, do they really? Oh, <laughs> no, history has uh, that knack of repeating itself, it does. doesn't it? Or is it just in the genes? I don't know. Maybe it is in the, in the genes well, with, with that family that, that, or whatever. surely has to be part of it. Very true, very true, Andrew, as well. Number 14. And so we are here with the, yeah, the next one, a, a, yeah. a great beauty. So um, again, it's it's like I, you know, as, as I was discussing with you before, Jerry, I have gone into historical fiction for the last several books and then the last book even though they're all set around kind of historical events it was actually about real people it was about the Prince of Wales King Edward, King Edward II when he was a Prince of Wales and Nellie Clifton so I kind of enjoyed that so much and the research and everything that I thought I'd actually do the same kind of thing for, the, for this book as well um, so it's about real people that lived as, as, as you know and about a fictionalised account of, of, of what was going on there through a very interesting period of Irish history the War of Independence. This takes a lot, a lot of reading research and work There, there was an awful lot in this and especially when you're dealing with, with um, real people and real icons like Michael Collins, one of the main characters and Katie Kieran and Lady Hazel Lavery, you kind of want to kind of you know, deal with it sensitively and get it as right as possible so I, I took the research pretty seriously <laughs> You obviously have, I said this to you before, you put yourself into the shoes, into the lives of these people in in the time. Yeah. And then you imagine. Yeah, and then the, the story unfolds. I mean, the plot is there. I mean, these people lead incredibly interesting lives. So it's just my take on on what happened, especially, and, and this being the centenary of the, the the start of the War of Independence, I thought it would just be a fascinating subject, Jerry, to kind of like tackle. And and so the book is written and on the shelves, thank God. <laughs> it is indeed. And flying off the shelves, let me say, as as well. I was just, uh, Independent Day have given you a hell of a, an nice endorsement. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen that yeah, as well. And, and that is just today. Mm. Um, but, you know, when you, when you talk about this time, it was a seminal time in Anglo Irish relations in Irish history. This, these moments, mm. these days and times you write about. I think, okay, I mean, time is, is kind of passing by so quickly, but it's now 100 years, as I said, since the War of Independence. And we kind of sometimes forget how actually vicious, or we don't think about it as much as we did, how vicious that war was. And when I was, when I was doing the research on it, I was learning about stuff that I, I wasn't aware of and just how an absolute you know, upheaval the country was in at the time and the terrible things that were going on during that war. So um, I, I was kind of, with, the, with this novel, I wanted to kind of bring that to, back to, to life and the kind of the pressure that the peace delegates were under to 
bring a truce you know, to continue the truce and bring a treaty back to the country because nobody wanted more war. And that was that was going to be the result. And, and the pivotal part Hazel Lavery played yeah. and her relationship with Collins. Yeah. And then, of course, you have Kitty on this side of the water yeah. uh, and Boland as well. Who well, that's it. We know that story from the movie. Well, that's true, because we're, we're all kind of aware. I think I think um, Harry Boland referred to himself as the love triangle between himself, Kitty Kiernan, and then Michael Collins, who won her heart in the end. But what I thought was fascinating fascinating about this was that Michael Collins was actually involved in a second love triangle when he got engaged to Kitty Kiernan just before he went to London and then when he went there he met Lady Hazel Lavery and a kind of a second love triangle began there with with himself and, and her because they became kind of a little bit infatuated with each other. <laughs> this is the $64 million question and yeah. I'm sure this will be thrown at you every time you talk about this book. Yeah. Where are they lovers? Um, I I I took a certain stand on it and took it from what she said to people and where she, where she whether she was you know whether she was a fantasist or not she was accused of that but um i took it from that stand that they were and that's how i adapted the book towards it was but um i mean there's only two people could actually really ever say that and that's actually hazel and and michael themselves but he he they they were definitely very close and had become quite to everyone to see quite infatuated um, I mean, to the point that I, I think, you know, when after he died, um, I mean, Hazel and her husband, they came to Dublin for the last month of his life to kind of support him. And um, Hazel was, was came down to, to wearing widow's weeds to go to the funeral. So, I mean, that was kind of a, a clear display to the world that she was ready to do, that she was the woman in his life. She was persuaded to change her clothes by friends. <laughs> when you think, though, of... You know, the intrigue, mm. you know, the, you know, we talk about love, mm. trysts and liaison today yeah. online and that. Yeah. But the other injured party here, a jilted party, was John Lavery, of course, the famous artist. Yeah, yeah. You know, Hazel's husband. Mm, mm. Is it true? Like, and I, I know you uh, at the end and the add on to the book, you write about this, that uh, Hazel Lavery and Michael Collins went to a social event and were together driving from it or, or there was an, an assassination attempt there that that was uh, that was the last night he was in Dublin before he went down okay. to Cork where 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 he was actually assassinated there was a, there was a few, there was a few attempts on his life um, that I wouldn't have even been aware of mm. but yeah they went to a, a dinner party in um in in in, in Fox Rock in, in in a grand house Kiltra and um George Bernard Shaw was another guest there that night and um her husband John didn't go to that dinner party he remained at the hotel they were staying in the Royal Marine and they went for a drive afterwards after the, the dinner party where there, there was a, an attempt on them you know but uh, I mean I, I think that was Michael Collins' life there was a lot of attempts at that time And that leads me nicely to the whole scene both in London but especially here you know you think Collins and his reputation as a politician, a negotiator, a man who fought as well, who was a a master tactician. Mm -hmm. Living life on the edge, Andrew, in a way. And yet, there were these women and... Well, I I mean, when I was doing the research for this novel, he was kind of... They called him like the Scarlet Pimpernel. I mean, we're so familiar with images and social media and photographs and cameras and everything these days. But the British authorities only had one grainy photograph of him. 
and he was the most wanted man in the empire and that's why he was going around on bicycles and nobody, you know leading the war in the war of independence and nobody knew exactly what he was looking like so he went from that a life of obscurity and in hiding and to suddenly being sent to London which he didn't really want to do and suddenly all the British press around him fascinated with this man nobody knew what he looked like and so he arrived in kind of like with a bit of a matinee idle look about him and um, and suddenly he became like uh, you know all the, the, the society wanted him to invite him to the parties and I mean, to go from hiding to suddenly being very prolific is, 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 is incredible. And I don't know how his mind quite got around it nearly. Yes. It's a big change. Yeah. Or how he wasn't looking over his shoulder. Do you know what I mean? We knew when he came back here, the, a couple of attempts in his life before he was actually killed. And But when you think of, you know, try, I suppose it's parallels with today, which is going on the shocking, mm. you know, gangland feuds we have at mm. the moment where mm. people... Can there be a normality, I'm saying? You know, a normality of romance with Kitty, engagement, an affair? I think I think Michael Collins lived his life a certain way. I think Kitty wasn't a particular political beast. And that's why he kind of came to rely, rely on Hazel, because she was an incredibly political person. But I think in the last summer of his life, I think Kitty was getting a bit tired of it. When he, when he, was, when he became the commander-in-chief, she wrote to him and said, um, what does that mean? When he became the commander in chief of the army, um, she wrote and said, "What does what, what does that mean? More trouble, I suppose." So that's kind of an indication that she wanted a yeah. normal life. Um, and and whereas Hazel was kind of rushing to Dublin, writing to to people saying she was in the thick of the thick of it, she was enjoying that, you know. So it depends what kind of a person you were, but I think Kitty definitely wanted just a normal life by then. <laughs> and you know, people listening today might wonder, Hazel Lavery, who is she? You would have handled her many a times over the years, yeah. up to the year two thousand. I mean, because she was the, she was the million pound face. She was on that millions and millions of the Irish pounds and ten pounds and every banknotes. That was her. And that she be, she became that face because um, after the Free State was formed, the, the, the Free State government asked her husband, John Lavery, to, um, to com- was commissioned to, to design the banknote and he chose his wife Hazel as the model. Brave man not to, I suppose. <laughs> to, to put on the banknote. <laughs> I wouldn't like to be telling her, you know what I mean, that he had picked another one. And knowing her reputation as well. Absolutely. I have one of my most favourite authors with me on Late Lunch today. Andrew O'Connor is here. The book is called A Great Beauty. It is a wonderful book. I'm going to give a copy away. My copy as usual. Would you like it? Here's the difficult question. In which famous... Irish cemetery does Michael Collins remains rest. Which famous Irish cemetery does Michael Collins remains rest for the book today? Your name and details. The answer, please, to 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text us straight away. We'll pick somebody before the end. More from Andrew in a moment. Andrew O'Connor's with us on Late Lunch. I love my history and I know so many people do. Michael Collins, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Collins, when you just mentioned the name. Here, something I wanted to ask you. You've written, Collins is your your present book of this book that's out at the moment, but you've written about Martin Luther King, James Joyce, Michael David as well. Yeah, yeah. Where does Collins, you know what I'm getting at here, and the pantheon of those greats and that, after, you know, writing this, where, where do you see him sit? I think at the very top. I think I think I think in a way he he, he led he led the way, didn't he? I mean, he was before Martin Luther King and 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 and, and a lot of you know those kind of yes. rights. And I think yeah, I mean he he led the new way of kind of like how to conduct that kind of a war. And um, so I mean I think he was he was followed for, for you know for decades afterwards. You know as, as an example, and just uh, you know as you were saying, he was an amazing tactician. You know what I mean? The way he could 
plan things and plot things and um, you know bring bring you know all these plans to fruition and do so many things at the one time. Yes, and he was brilliant at accounts, which I found was amazing as well. <laughs> Somebody who's not <laughs> as good, but uh, you know he was just he, the way he could actually do. He was minister of finance, he, you know all this thing, and he mm. kept a record of everything in notebooks of mm. everything that was spent and everything like that. So do you? consider after immersing yourself in this and producing this wonderful book do you ever have the thought running through your head what if he hadn't been assassinated the big question I suppose so um yeah, it's impossible to say. I think all the the indications were in the, in the final year he was getting quite exhausted. I mean, there was an awful lot of stuff being put on, on onto his onto his, on his on his shoulders. But he'd made a lot of friends with with people in London, you know, and high society people. He wasn't like you know, it might be in a total different relationship. You know, with the economic war in the nineteen thirties, it might have been a little bit different or whatever like that. So um, it's, it's it's interesting to know what kind of a country he would. I think it would have been a, a different. Um, a different, a different direction. I think one of the things, and which he was very annoyed about when it was said, but in the in when he came back to Ireland and the treaty was being, um, you know, discussed and ratified in the Dáil, Countess Markovic was 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 a, was a deputy there, and uh, she she said that she'd heard it was, um, that uh, Michael Collins was due to marry Princess Mary, the king's only daughter, which, as you can imagine, caused a ruckus. <laughs> response in, in the doll but it shows the connections that he was being seen to have and that was ludicrous obviously that that was going to happen mm. but having said that there was there was a lot of rumours about Hazel Avery and he announced at that point in the doll his his engagement to, to, to Kitty Kiernan as a as maybe as a defence or to say yes to say that you know how, how ridiculous that was you know mm. but I mean if he's been if he's been if he's been it said that even if it was in jest in the doll, it shows that he was going to have a very different kind of relationship with with with, with the British establishment, mm. or was already having it. Hazel Lavery's relationship with Ireland, I know she's been on the banknotes for years and yeah. years, but, but a woman scorned in a way was that because of her? You know, she was close to Churchill and many mm. of the, the the huge political figures and royalty figures mm. and you know society figures in London. I, I mean, she 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 was neither really. British or really Irish, she was she was um, American, Irish American. But when I say Mar- Irish American, her her family had left from Galway two centuries before. So I mean, you know, very much from from the past. Um, she 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 had been a very wealthy family in, in Chicago, a debutante. She came to London and used her own beauty, her own charm, and her husband's talent to kind of like get to the very top of society. Um, but she had a fascination with Ireland. I mean, she saw herself as Irish and was a big advocate for Irish independence and hated the war in Ireland and wanted to use those massive contacts she had to try and end it, which she, she worked around the clock doing. And, uh, you know, I was just looking at the, at their ages. Hazel passed at 55, relatively young, in 1935. She did. She did. Kitty Kiernan was 53 when she mm. passed in, in 1945. The, the one that lived longest, actually, was John Lavery, even though he died in 41, he was 84 years of age. I thought it was really interesting because her mother, Hazel's mother, when she'd already been widowed very young, she'd married the, she'd met John and fallen in love with him, but he was 24 years her senior. Her mother decided he wasn't a kind of a very good catch, so she did what she was asked and she married um, a suitable guy from, from New York, but he died quite young. 
with why she was pregnant in, in the first year of the marriage, and um, then she went on to marry the you know John Lavery, and uh, it's kind of he he actually went on to be knighted, and so he made her a lady, and actually outlived her for by eight or nine years. My so the mother God. didn't know best. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's I you rest your case on that one. Um, it's it's a, a simply brilliant book, and I think Thanks, you've uh, you know brought to life a period in Irish history. I'll say this in, again: that was so significant in terms of the formation and the early beginnings of this state and the influencers on on many sides. Um, what's next? <laughs> Oh God! What's next? As in, as I in, said this to you the last time we're here. Are you taking a rest now? Is it just? I know you're promoting the book, and uh, yeah, I've, I haven't got anything quite in mind yet. Actually, I think I had. I think I hadn't even this last time I was on the show. I hadn't had this no. one on, on the mind, but it came mm. shortly afterwards. So maybe mm. you might be my inspiration this time as well, Jerry. <laughs> I don't know where or what direction to to send you you in from here. Uh, but lo, you know, if you love your history, folks, if you even don't know a lot about this history. This book is just brilliant. It really is. And it's out there now and available all over the place. It's called A Great Beauty uh, by Andrew O'Connor. And if you'd like a signed copy today, I'll ask you the question once more. They're bombing in anyway, the answers. Here's the question for the signed copy by Andrew today. Michael Collins is laid to rest. His remains uh, lie in what famous Irish cemetery? The name of the cemetery with your name and details, please. And we'll pick a winner for the book by the end of the show. Andrew, it's always a pleasure to talk to you on Late Lunch. You're just fabulous. Yeah, and be best on. wishes, whatever Thanks comes so much, to mind for the next one. And you're always welcome back to Thanks, join Jerry. us on the show. Appreciate here. that. Great to see you again. Thanks a million. Today. Andrew O'Connor, thanks a million. Would you like to go along to the LMFM Sports Star Awards 2019? They're happening in the Fairways Hotel in Dundalk on the 5th of December. Our guests on the night include Dundalk Football Club, Rithoat GAA Club, boxer Amy Broadhurst, Ashburn Rugby Club and Loud Ladies GAA. The Kiltocky Hurling GAA Club will also be represented and more besides. The LMFM Sports Team will be there as well. If you'd like to go along, seats are limited. All you have to do is text SPORTSTAR, that's SPORTSTAR, to 086-1800-658 with your name and details and uh, get going as quick as you can with the texting because seats are limited. And it's coming to Christmas and again this year LMFM have teamed up with Reynolds Fiat and Scotch Hall Shopping Centre. A stunning Fiat 500, it's worth €18,000 is up for grabs. Every time you spend €50 across any of Scotch Hall's 50 plus shops, you'll have the opportunity to enter the draw. Just pop your entry form into the draw drum in Scotch Hall and stay tuned to us here in LMFM to see if you're one of the lucky finalists every week from now until Christmas. We'll announce a weekly winner and this week's winner is John Bird from Drogheda. Congratulations, John. You've won a €100 Scotch Hall gift card and you're in the grand finale draw which takes place on Sunday, December 22nd. Louise, Andrew O'Connor's new book. They're looking for it. A great beauty. Michael Collins is laid to rest in... Glasnevin. He is indeed. I visited there uh, in the late autumn, enjoyed the tour. And the book goes where today? The beauty today is Bernie Trainer in Lockrue in Oldcastle. Well done to you, Bernie. Book on the way to you and enjoy. I'm sure you will. What about the weather, Louise? What about the oh, weather at the isn't minute? It, isn't it? Yeah, you just look Am out every morning and it's just damp, da- foggy. The unbelievables uh. were right. Put a roof on her. Be a great little country if she had a roof on her. <laughs> There's no doubt them boys 
had foresight, they had vision. It's the time of year, isn't it, as well? The short days, the longer evenings, but the old cloud and damp and everything. Yeah, I've seen rather... a bit of frost, though, to get into the atmosphere. Yes, come up to please, Christmas. come on. I believe Let's... it's coming. Is it? Well, I just read somewhere online from Thursday, it could plummet down as far as minus three. Oh, cool, the jet kill so. all the flus. Oh, and colds, well, that's I what hope. we want. We want drier, crisper weather. And you know what we're wishing for now? We'll probably be sitting mm. here and there's five foot of snow outside the front door and we'll be cursing <laughs> Giving it. Giving again. As well, at that stage, we're like the farmers. We're never happy, are we? But I think farmers it is. Farmers never happy, Jerry. And they're never happy with the Ever? weather, farmers. Oh, rarely, 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 rarely are farmers happy with the weather. There's mm. always an issue. They're like fishermen as well, with the same anglers. Too hot, too cold, too bright, too dark. Too windy, no wind. <laughs> we have a lot in common, anglers and farmers, but it's just the nature of the beast. You know yourself, yeah. Anyway, so what would we talk about if we what would we talk be about talking weather? about in Ireland Seriously. if we couldn't exactly? What about the Donegal postman? What he is he is he still there? Is he saying anything? Yeah, he is. He reckons we could be in for a white Christmas. Something got to do with foxes coming down from the mountains and robins going into houses, which I always thought was a sign of death. <laughs> Well, Robin, is, they say, is the sign of a loved one coming mm, back. But if it goes into a house. Oh. I thought it? it was the sign Did of you? death. I there you are. Well, the postman, then. he's into his robins. What else is he talking about? Robins and... Foxes coming down from the mountains. <clears throat> Come down from the mountain, Katie Daly. I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, we'll wait that. and see. So predicting a white Christmas. He's dreaming. He's only dreaming of one. You know nah, with floods <laughs> until then, I think, have we? <laughs> Anyway, getting serious for a minute. Not far from you, uh, your abode. Fly tipping, isn't it a scourge? It's disgusting. It's terrible. We're going to hear about another awful case that's happened recently in Baltray. Fly tipping. There probably isn't a, a townland in the northeast in Lothermead that hasn't experienced the this shocking, shocking. What would you describe it as? Wanton vandalism and destruction of the environment. People who just don't care. Latest place to experience it is beautiful Baltray. And joining me on the line is Karen Van Streen from the Baltray Residents Association and Marita Collier of Drummond House Garlic fame. Ladies, welcome to the show. Marita, if I could start with yourself. You highlighted this on, on your Facebook page. When did it happen? Um, it happened last Friday night, Jerry. And in fairness, um, the Baltray Residents Association is a fantastic committee here and locals. And they're very proactive and very on the ball, like with everything. So they were so sharp and on the ball that literally they copped it on Friday night. They copped the van and they posted it straight away onto our Baltray Residents Association web Facebook page to get us all to then champion it and promote it and get as much word out there because, you know, I we feel that the more publicity we get, it might deter people in the future from doing it here or locally in anyone's community. Where did the dumping specifically happen? So if you come into our beautiful Baltray village and with the lovely 19th pub there on the left-hand side, and we've our lovely fairy village on the right-hand side, made by the Residents Association. If you turn left at the 19th pub, and you're heading up that little, tiny little road, it's called Gary Hummish, and the cottage is up there. It's a tiny little private area that you're going up there. That leads you then onto Collier's Lane, and effectively 
onto our farm and down onto the, the lovely walkway. It was the lovely little laneway that was used for the, the Irish Open, the three Irish Open, and you could park and ride and walk the back lane and come out at the golf club entrance. Okay, so that's the lane. And, and what, what, what did it consist of? Lots of black bags? Uh, I'll let Karen answer that one because in fairness, God loves okay. they went out and actually picked L- the Let's bring her in then. She's on the line. Karen Van Streen. Karen, afternoon. What, 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 what did you come across? There were approximately 10 black plastic bags full of household rubbish. 10. And it's yes. household, definitely. This is uh, refuse from, from a home that was gathered up and taken by somebody yes. and, and left with yourselves. Uh, d- did you go through the bags or what happened when you discovered it? What did you do from there? Um, well, first of all, somebody got in touch with the litter warden, which um, they did immediately. And the litter warden came out to look through them. He takes them away and checks. And then people will be um, to see if he can find any names or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the, the, it, the, it was removed by the little warden and then it's taken uh, from there uh, by them. What about this van that Marita mentioned? Can you give us any more details on that? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I think it just went up the laneway and it was only a matter of five, ten minutes to get rid of the rubbish and was back down again. Okay. And, and it's 9 p.m. on the Friday evening. 9 o'clock on the Friday. A white van? Marita, you're there. Yeah, Marita. Is it white, Marita? What colour? White, uh, as far as we could we could decipher. A couple of people saw a white van in the village that they, you know, that they know anyone living in the village doesn't have parked in their driveway. So it's it's such a private little lane. Anything kind of... Not the, the the normal cars or vans it is very noticeable, thankfully, in one sense. Okay. Um, is this uh, new to you or has it happened previously, Marita? Unfortunately for us here um, uh, on Drummond Farm, this is it has happened to us twice in the past 18 months. And in fairness, the Residents Association have been fantastic in championing our cause at trying to help us. When you come further up that lane, it's the middle of nowhere. There was, and there was unfortunately asbestos dumped, which is obviously hazardous, and concrete blocks and um, barbed wire that was dumped midway on our farm on the laneway. So it was quite costly for us to get rid of that. Then uh, about three months before that, in our lovely um, sustainable compostable heap that we're using here on the farm, uh, there was children's toys, a fire guard, again, concrete blocks. Uh, pillows, half a mattress, things that, you know, are not suitable. They they should be disposed of in the proper way. They were actually dumped into our beautiful compostable heap that we were building up to have our own organic matter fertiliser here on the farm. Isn't that just disgraceful? It's a shame, really, and the disregard for people who are trying to do things properly and to interfere with, you know, a natural cycle that's returning to the earth uh, what was its and can enhance it. Karen, just back to yourself before we finish. Again, in general terms, Baltray, beautiful little place there, lovely village, the golf club, of course, the focal point of it. We hear what Emerita says there. What about from the residents' point of view? Is this a war- more widespread issue in other parts of the village of the area as well? Yes it is, um, especially down the area we call the Haven which is a wildlife sanctuary 
But a lot of people dump their rubbish and they go down and clean out their cars with a lot of um, things that are actually recyclable, like bottles and cans, plastic. Yeah. And like we have a couple of workers from their, the employment schemes and they spend their 40 hours a week cleaning up the village and trying to keep it as clean as possible. Isn't that and, just something know, else? Without that, can you only imagine what the place would be like? I know. You know, everybody does their bit in the village, cleaning up the beach and picking up the plastic, trying to do the best for the environment. But um, when people like this are going down and doing that, what can you, you know, we all, everybody has to do their bit. Yes. And and be vigilant, Karen. And if anybody sees anything, report it. Let the residents know, report it to the Gardaí and out these people. And let's hope they're caught. Yes, that's it. And... Um, if you do find anybody fly tipping uh, or see anything, if you contact Loud County Council, they will put the little warden in touch with you and they will bring people to be prosecuted if they find. And that them. is so what... be named and changed. Yes, that's what needs to be done. Ladies, have to leave it there for today. Thanks a million to Marita Collier from Drummond House uh, Farm and uh, Karen Van Streen from the Baltray Residents Association. Thank you both indeed for joining me on the show. Um, Jim's just been on to say, I think, Jerry, anyone who claims to be civilised at least might have the cop on to respect the planet we live on. We seem to have a lot of filthy people in Ireland who don't realise the damage they're doing to wildlife water and the future of our young people. They're sly, sneaky, and just because they're not caught doesn't mean they won't answer for their actions in the future. This planet's only on loan to all of us. We must protect it and pass it on to the next generation. Thank you indeed, Jim, for that comment. That's a lot on Late Lunch for this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Eddie's up next with The Drive. We leave you with the pretenders and back on the chain gang where those dumpers should be. with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how shockingly affordable a new Dacia is in the new year. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 